we've noticed that Jeremiah and many of these prophets of the Old Testament, they often employ these um, object lessons, you know, where they give some kind of a, uh, an illustration or a picture or a literal, you know, um, action that speaks of a spiritual condition. And we've talked about this even a couple of weeks ago. Remember, I gave a brief sermon on uh, Jeremiah's underwear. Get it? Brief sermon on, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, remember he took his underwear and he wore it, uh, his girdle, as it's called there. Uh, we did a whole study on that, how he traveled 300 miles, tucked it in a hole and put a rock on it, and let it marinate there, his underwear in the dirt. And then after a long, long time, he came back and put it on and wore it around Israel in this holy, messed up underwear. People are like, what are you doing, Jeremiah? He says, well, as my underwear is useless to me, so are you to the Lord. That was the message. Uh, I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. That would have been a tough gig. Isaiah had to walk around naked for a year saying, you are naked before the Lord. You know, Ezekiel, we're gonna see him lying on his side for days on end. We're gonna see him cutting his hair, throwing it up in the, like the crazy stuff that, that these poor prophets had to do. So I almost wonder sometimes if, you know, a prophet's sitting there and all of a sudden the Lord says, Jeremiah, what Lord? Like, what now? Well, he's gonna get an assignment uh, here in Jeremiah chapter 18. But fortunately for Jeremiah, uh, it's not so bad. The message and the illustration is not so bad. But as it turns out, this is the one, this is the illustration that's gonna end him up in stocks and bonds and we're not talking Wall Street. This little illustration is gonna, he's gonna end up being chained up and imprisoned for what he's about to preach from this little illustration. So it's not that he's traveling 300 miles and wearing underwear or any of that stuff. He's gonna give an illustration, but the people aren't gonna like it. And, uh, and I wanna show you this, this little um, parable of the potter uh, that's used here in Jeremiah. Let's take a look, chapter 18, verse one. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again unto another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, Cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and sees a scene there. And the Lord uses that scene to say, this is where the children of Israel are at. This is, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so is Israel in my hand. Now you say, okay, well, that's, that's great. But what we have to do is kind of take a look and see with Jeremiah, as he walks into the potter's house, what does he see? Well, the first thing that Jeremiah sees is the potter himself. Um, now let's, let's look at this potter. He's, he's a, a professional. You know, he's skilled, he's a craftsman, he's an artisan. He's a guy who um, has a purpose and he's the potter. The second thing that Jeremiah would see was the implement, the tool that the potter would use is the wheel. Um, now, this is a biblical uh, Jeremiah age wheel. If, if you're picturing a, you know, electric wheel, spinning the body, that's not it. If you're picturing a little pedal wheel, that's not it either. The way that the potter did it during the Jeremiah era was they had a big stone flywheel at the, on the floor. 
And the potter would take his foot and spin that wheel with his foot. And it would, it would carry momentum. The centrifugal force would then go up a shaft to the, pl- the platform where the clay would sit. And he would just spin away with his foot. Uh, and then he would do his work on the wheel, the tool, the instrument of the potter. But then he would see the third thing that made this potter's house important, and that is the clay itself. Interesting, the Bible tells us that we are made of clay, out of the clay of the earth, that's what humanity is made of. Um, You know, um, it's interesting, clay is a common substance, virtually worthless, really. But in the hands of the potter, it becomes valuable, it's useless. Clay is useless until it's shaped into something, and that's when it becomes value. Now, Zechariah, he tells us in his prophecies that the clay represents us. Um, Paul the apostle, Isaiah, they all talk about how we come from the earth and we go back to the earth and that we're these, you know, these clay beings. But we're created from the dust of the earth, Genesis chapter two, verse seven tells us. I heard a pastor once preach on this. He said, God remembers that we are but dust, but man sometimes forgets it and he gets stuck on himself. And when dust gets stuck on itself, it's called mud. But what's amazing is, is we, can, we can see even the mud and the Lord says, guess what, I can use that. In the hands of the potter, with the instrument of the wheel, the clay suddenly gets value. And so let's take a look at this, this potter and what he's doing. And what does it have to do with the, the people of Israel and Jerusalem of Jeremiah's day? And what does it have to do with us? Well, let's take a look. Number one, if you're taking notes, first we look at the the purpose of the potter. What is his purpose? Now, this is important for you to see. Um, Some people believe God is just this cosmic killjoy, just messing with people. Let's see how they do uh, with this, cancer. Like a mean little boy playing with bugs. They think that's who God is. Um, I've got a confession to make when I was five years old. Now, some of you Portland people, this is gonna really freak you out. But when I was five years old, my grandfather gave me a little pocket knife. It was a little buck knife. And there I took that buck knife and I was so excited because it was sharp. See, and when I was a kid, they used to give kids sharp things. Um, And you didn't have to wear a helmet. And um, it was a weird day. But I remember there with my sharp knife sitting in the garage and you know, we had a problem with those daddy long leg spiders. We had tons of them in that, that garage and you know, I'd see my dad squish them and kill them and get them out of there and stuff, vacuum them up or whatever. And, um, but I remember one day seeing a daddy long leg and I thought, I wonder what would happen if I surgically removed one of its legs. So there as a five-year-old kid, cut off the little leg and amazing, the daddy long leg functioned perfectly. He could walk just as good as before. So I thought, what about a second leg? And a third. Eventually, you know, he did pretty good right up until he got to one. One was just kind of a ball with one leg going. And um, now see, this is where a lot of you are horrified. Like, I'm leaving this church. Um, But that'll be good because there'll be more seats for other people. No, I'm not, I'm just kidding. Just just messing with you. so, so as I was playing with the spider, suddenly my dad walks in the garage and he sees what I'm doing. And he says, Brett, give me the buck knife. And he took my buck knife and he said, now go to your room. Now that was a problem. Cause that meant a spanking. And I received the, one of the top five spankings I remember was right there. Why would my dad spank me for messing with a spider? He was, you know, I saw him squish spiders before. What's the difference? 
He was teaching me about cruelty and you know, you just don't mess with little creatures. And, and that, you know, it was a lesson I had to learn. It was a tough lesson, especially for the spider. And I didn't get my knife back till I was seven. But all that to say, some people sort of superimpose that on God. God's this cosmic power. Let's see how Brett will do today. Coronavirus. I don't have coronavirus. If you're worried, I see people starting to, no, um, I don't have that. Um, uh, but you know, how, how, will, how will humanity do today with rioting, <laughs> election fraud, <laughs> um, worried about the, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter issues and racism in America, <laughs> what, what, what's the Lord doing? What, is he messing with humanity? Well, that's the thing. When we see God pictured as how he interacts with humanity, the Bible tells us a lot about that. And he is not the mean little boy playing with bugs. This imagery of the potter, by the way, goes throughout the scriptures. Zechariah the prophet, Paul, Isaiah, um, the gospel of Matthew. There's a bunch of passages of the Bible that show us that God is the potter and we're the clay. And more specifically, it, it actually in the later points that Jesus is the one who's sitting at the potter's wheel, who is God. Jesus is God, so he's doing the work of God as the potter. So the clay in, in this situation is not just being messed around with. It's not like a little kid playing with Play-Doh. This purpose of the potter is like Jeremiah 18.3. It says that he wrought a work. Behold, look, he says he's doing a work. The word wrought is an old King James word of saying he's working on a work. He's, he's, he's got a job to do. And that's important, you know, to realize that the Lord has, has got a, a job to do and he's doing a work and, and it's a, a work in progress. You're the clay and God is doing a work in your life. And this imagery of the potter is something the Lord wants us to see and it's for many reasons. Have you ever wondered why is God working in our lives? Some of you might say, well, Brett, he might be working in your life or in some people, but I'm too, not, God's not working in my life. God doesn't have the time for moi. But actually, as it turns out, God does have time for you. Remember, we talk about this from time to time just to remind you that God can give you his undivided attention. Oh, how can he do that, Brett? There's billions of people on this planet. Well, as it turns out, God is infinite. Omnipotent, which means he's, you know, all-powerful. Omniscient means he's all-knowing. But omnipresent means he's all over, all the time, everywhere. He's infinite. And so when it comes to him, the potter focusing on the clay, the work that he's doing, and he's focused in on you and he's thinking about you. And he's got a plan and a purpose to make something of you. And even though you're one of, you know, close to 8 billion people on this planet, the Lord is giving you his undivided attention. That's why the psalmist marveled. Do you remember when the psalmist said, oh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? In other words, why do you even think about us? And then later we read that the, the Lord's thoughts toward us are precious thoughts. And they number more than there is sand on the sea. Have you ever been at the beach and just grab a handful of sand and try to count the number of grains of sand in just one handhold? You can't do it. It's too, it's too big of a number. And here the Bible says the Lord's thinking about you and his thoughts are more than the sand on the sea and they're precious thoughts. He's not thinking, what a jerk. That's what I'd be thinking if I was looking at me. But the Lord looks at you and says, I love this person. And I have a plan for this person. And I wanna shape out of them something that's meaningful, something that's useful. I'm gonna do a work in this person's life. And so you cannot, you know, 
uh, tire God out because he's infinite. You know, if you take an infinite number and you divide that number by any number, let's just say eight billion people, the quotient will always be infinity because the Lord is infinite. He can give you his infinite attention. And I love that. So here's the potter focusing on the clay and he's doing a work. What, what's the work for? Well, this is where you have to kind of search the scriptures to see why is he doing a work in your life and what's the purpose? Is it just to make you happy and victorious and successful and uh, all that stuff? That's what some people would have you to believe. But Ephesians chapter two gives us the answer. It's Ephesians 2.10. It says there, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, um, you know, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The, the word is workmanship that we should highlight perhaps in our Bibles. We are his workmanship. Now, in the English word workmanship, we think of building like construction or you know, doing a, a, digging a ditch or something like that. But the, the, the Greek word of the original text of the Bible, it implies something that's more artistic and less just heavy construction. Um, the Bible uses construction, by the way, also, how the Lord wants to build your house um, and stuff like that. But, but this, this context, the word workmanship is the Greek word poema. And it's where we get our word poem. Um, and it means a creation. It, it's, it's, it's not just you're digging a ditch and building a building. There's a real artistic kind of thing going on there that God is doing in your life. You're, you're be, like a poem being written by the Lord. Okay, Brett, so we are his workmanship. He's writing a poem in our lives and making something out of that artistic. But what for? Well, if you read on in Ephesians chapter two, beginning there in verse seven, it's, uh, pardon me, verse six, it says, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Paul was able to make long sentences that are hard to kind of break down. But what has he done? Let's break it down. He's raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. So he's doing a work. Let's go back to the potter analogy. You're a piece of clay. He's making a vessel and he wants to take that vessel and he wants to do a, a work of art, a poema. And he's doing it so that he can raise us up into heaven and make us sit together in heavenly places. And what are we gonna do there? We're gonna show and you think there's a misspelling there. It's not, it's the King James way of saying show. It's an old way of spelling show. I, I like to use the King James, I'm sorry. I just love the King Jimmy. And, um, and that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What's that mean? What does it mean that you're a work of art and you're gonna be sitting in heavenly places? Here's what's gonna go on. In heaven, the angels, the intelligent beasts around the throne, other people that are in heaven, they will look at you sitting in heavenly places and go, wow. And they won't say, wow, you're an amazing person. Nope, they'll say, wow, look at the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. You're gonna be a vessel that's sort of like um, on display in all of eternity that will demonstrate and you know, confirm God's kindness and his goodness and his grace. Why is he working in you? To finish a work, he who has begun a good work in you is, is gonna be faithful to complete it, right? Even to the very end. So he's gonna complete a work in you so that in heaven people go, wow, not look at Brett, he's amazing. Nope, look how God took Brett and made something that was exceeding 
rich and exceedingly gracious and exceedingly kind. And for all of eternity, people will marvel at the glory of God because of what he did through his believers. That's why the potter does what he does. The purpose of the potter is to do a great work. And man, I hope we see that. Um, The Lord wants to do a great work in you. The purpose of the potter, that's number one. Number two, the process of the potter. Here's the part that some of us don't like. Because, you know, we can get all teary. I know the Lord's doing a work in me. It's so awesome. The Lord's working in me. But be careful. Sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes it's real dizzying. And sometimes you might not be able to take the heat. What do you mean? Well, remember, we saw the potter took the, play, the clay and put it on the wheel. It's a work on the wheels. In fact, I have a picture. This is a really old picture of, of the Jeremiah error potter. He had this little flywheel on the ground there. You can see that stone. And then he'd turn it with his foot. And then the top would, he'd make the, you know, the, the vessel. But, you know, this wheel speaks of, you know, our lives going round and round. Do you ever feel like your life's just going around in circles? It should make sense on this pottery analogy because, man, round and round we go, the Lord's spinning. Um, Mark Twain said, the problem with life is it's so daily. (laughs) Have you ever felt that where you just get up, go to work, come home, go to bed, get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. And you're just like, oh, I'm on the wheel of life, spinning round and around. And sometimes it gets dizzying how daily life can be. But that shouldn't shock us. The Lord is daily spinning. The the reason the potter's wheel works and is able to make such a nice shaped vessel is because it's spinning so fast that it makes short work of, of something that would really be hard if you were just shaping it by hand. So there's the wheel that the Lord is using, but not only the wheel, but also the pressure that's being applied by the potter. Do you ever feel the pressure? Man, I feel pressure at work to perform better. I feel pressure from my wife to be a better husband. I feel pressure from my parents to be a better child. I feel pressure and to go to school and get good grades. And, and we feel the pressure, but could it be that that pressure is the Lord shaping you, molding you to be the vessel that he wants to make? Something glorious, something that in eternity, people will go, wow, look what God can do in a person like that. Sometimes the Lord applies pressure because we're off course. And because we're in sin, we're flawed. And so the Lord has to apply different kind of pressure. Um, by the way, when I was a kid, um, we went on a field trip in fifth grade, Miss Loffer's class. And we went down to the thriving metropolis of Jacksonville, Oregon, there in our yellow school bus. And, and if you've never been to Jacksonville, you definitely need to make a trip to Jacksonville. It's a great little town, kind of where I grew up there. But um, old West gold rush town, you know. But there, there's all these neat little shops and artisan shops right now. But I remember as a kid, we went into the potter's shop and then we made our way as a class into the back little warehouse. And there, this husband and wife had these wheels, pottery wheels set up and they were shaping and molding these amazing vessels. And the lady talked through as she shaped this vase. And it was just so cool to see, but I'll never forget the, the thing that left a big impression on me was watching her shape it and it came up so beautifully and all of a sudden she said, yeah, and she pushed it down. It was all warped. It was going around the wheel. Rawr, 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 rawr. And then she shaped it back down to a, a sort of a little pile and then worked it back up into another vessel. I always think of that when I read Jeremiah 18, one through six, how the Lord saw that there was a flaw in the clay. That's, that's the thing. Did you see what our text said? There in Jeremiah chapter 18, 
it says in verse four, the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So what did he do? He made it again to another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. See, sometimes that's what happens. Our lives become marred with sin. And you know, uh, uh, sometimes the clay has a lump in it. You're trying to make a nice smooth vessel, but there's a lump. And so as it goes around the wheel, you're trying to smooth it. And there's this lump and you can't squish it out. So what does the potter do? Squishes it back down, maybe adds some water, gets it all mixed up. And you need that consistency in that vessel to make a nice vessel. So the potter in Jeremiah's story, the Lord saw fit to say, so he, he had a flaw in the, in the clay, so he squished it down and was gonna make a different vessel out of it. Some of you have been squished down quite a few times. The Lord's still working on you and you're becoming quite squishy. And it's, it's just a sinful thing. The Lord says, I gotta work that out of you before I can make a beautiful vessel, man, the sin. By the way, this pressure of the potter in the hand, it sort of reminds me of David. King David there in Jerusalem, after having committed adultery, sleeping with Bathsheba, after murdering her husband to try to cover up his sin. He tried to hide his sin and kept it a secret. But the problem is, whenever you try to keep your sins a secret, man, that never works out so good. And let me read to you from Psalm 32. Well, I'll just tell you, Psalm 32, what happened? It starts out, Psalm 32, and blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. He starts that out, happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. He said, when I kept silence, um, that is keeping his sins a secret, my bones waxed old like a roaring day and night. My life was like the drought of summer. I was dry. And he said, and I felt the heavy hand of the Lord upon me. That's that pressure. Here's the great potter saying, David, you committed adultery and you murdered a guy. We need to squish that clay down. And he felt the heavy hand of the Lord. But then, what does it say in Psalm 32? The Lord, uh, David said, but then I confessed my sin and the Lord forgave me. And suddenly he had renewed life. And that's the goodness of the Lord. He forgives our sins. But that still means that there's a squishing, the heavy hand of the Lord. When we sin, that's part of this process, the Lord's gonna squish it down and make a different vessel. So you got the wheel, you've got pressure, but also when I was on my little field trip as kids, guess what? We got to sit down and each of us got to make a bowl. They gave us a little blob of clay and we got to fashion a little bowl. And then after the bowl, she came and brought some thread and she cut the bottom of the bowl off of the plate that the, the pottery was spinning around on. It was so cool. And then she took our bowls and said, next week you'll get these bowls. Well, why can't we take them today? Because they have to be put through the fire. And she started explaining how you had to put the, the, the pottery in a kiln and she had out in the back a kiln. She said, I'll, I'll fire these pieces of pottery. And then sure enough, a week later, Miss Loffer's class, there were our bowls sitting there, but they had changed in their appearance and in their, um, you know, their strength. Um, when we saw them, they, they really weren't the same bowl at all but they became tougher and they were ready for use. You could have a bowl of cereal in that bowl, and I did. <laughs> you see, that was the cool part, the, the realizing, and see, that's the third element. Not only do you have the wheel, the pressure, but you also have the heat, and that's what the potter has to do. He has to put the, the, the vessel through a, a, a kiln and do a great work. Do you ever feel like your life, like you're going through hot times? like fiery trials, as the Bible calls them. Um, one thing that we need to remember is we shouldn't think that it's a strange thing. 
when we go through fiery trials and difficult days. Why, Lord, am I going through difficult times? We've become so wimpy. I, I just have to say it. And, and I'm, I'm like you, you know, we get all upset because of the coronavirus and lockdowns and because of this and that. We all get so upset about this and that and the other thing. But could it be the Lord's just using all of this stuff to be the pressure and the wheel and even the heat that we feel to make us to be who God wants us to be? And, and yet we, we think that God owes us a happy life that God owes us victory all the time. And I think we're, we believe that because a lot of pastors, that's all they talk about. God owes you that, he's gonna do that, but maybe not. Maybe he's gonna allow suffering and trials and difficulties. In fact, the Bible actually promises more about that than he does about the victory. So should we think it's strange when bad things happen? Check it out, you can check the scriptures on this. First Peter chapter four, verses 12 and 13, beloved, He's saying this compassionately to the beloved, the church, the, the people of Christ. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. These fiery trials that you go through, which Peter knew something about that, didn't he? He said, that's all gonna be something that'll eventually make you glad and bring you great joy. And it might not be in this life, but it'll definitely be when you're seated in heavenly places on display, when people say, wow, God is gracious, God is good. Look at the work that he did. Don't think it's strange. It's not just Peter, it's also, you know, Paul the apostle who said the same thing in Romans chapter five. He says in verses three through five, not only so, so we glory, in tribulations also. Knowing that tri tribulation you know, worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. See, you know, Peter says, don't think it's strange if you go through hot times, fire trials. Paul takes it up a notch, not only not to think it's strange, but rejoice. Rejoice when tough things happen, when tribulations come. Are you rejoicing right now because we're going through difficult days or are you murmuring and complaining? Paul says, man, rejoice because it's building with us patience, hope and experience and uh, we won't be ashamed before God when he does the work in our lives. James also jumps on board with this sort of you know, being okay with trials and struggles. James chapter one, verses two through four. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect. Some translations say mature, matured, that you may be mature, perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The ultimate goal is you'll be complete, a complete work, and you'll lack for nothing. But in the meantime, don't be bummed when you fall into trials and troubles. It's the working of your faith, trying of your faith that's working out patience and it's working out what God wants to do in your life. So you got the purpose of the potter. The purpose of the potter, he's doing a work on the wheels. You've got, you know, number three on our list of notes, you've got the plan of the potter, the plan of the potter. The potter is making a vessel according to his plan. That's what Jeremiah 18.4 says. So he made it again to another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Jeremiah walked into that little potter's house 
And there's no way he had to know what kind of vessel the person was making. In fact, if you've ever watched a pottery display uh, when somebody's making pottery, that's one of the things they almost always do is they leave you hanging, wondering what is it gonna be? And they start shaping a vessel and you're like, is that a, a cereal bowl or is that an ashtray? Oh, it's going up, is it a, a wine glass or is it a vase? And they, they liked the mysterious of just kind of building. And then eventually you start to see what they're doing. Like, oh, I know what that is. That's kind of the way the Lord does it. It says he makes the pot, whatever he wants to do. He, it's, it's, it's in his mind what his plan is uh, for that vessel. Now, um, here's the thing about this. Does this scare you? Does it scare you to think that God can make in your life whatever he wants to make? Some of you might be thinking, well, who is God to, to make what he wants out of my life? I wanna make what I wanna make out of my life. But I got some tough news for you. And I'm gonna say this as bluntly and maybe even offensively as I can. You're the clay. You are a lump of mud. You have nothing to say about the matter. God is the one who decides what he's gonna do with you. And it's, it's something that people struggle with. It's called the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And, and, and God's gonna do with you what he wants to do. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, but so some people say, well, I don't like that. Who cares? You're a lump of clay. You got nothing to say. Clay doesn't talk. <laughs> but God has a plan and he can make whatever he wants to out of you. And this scares people because they, they realize if you read the Bible, there's actually people in the Bible that God made to be a vessel of dishonor on purpose. Like that was his plan. Oh, Brett, I know that that's what God's gonna do. He's gonna make, he's gonna make me a toilet bowl. <laughs> or a spittoon. Spittoon, yeah, I went to Hidden Valley High School. Um, a lot of hicks. I liked my hick friends there. But one of the things I didn't like about my hick friends is they, they a lot of the, the, the guys in my high school back then, they had spittoons mounted on their dashboard. These goat rope and cowboy guys, you know? And, uh, and they would chew their tobacco and as they're driving, and they'd spit and hopefully it would make it into the spittoon. But sometimes you'd look at their windshield and they were very good shots, I think. Um, and there was the tobacco juice kind of dripping from their dashboard. It was pretty vile, pretty gross. So when I think of a vessel of dishonor, when I read the Bible, I think of that. Lord, don't make me into a spittoon or a toilet bowl. But remember, the potter can do whatever he wants with you. He can make with you whatever. You can be a fine wine glass or you can be a toilet bowl. You can be a vase that holds a bouquet of flowers, or you can be a spittoon. Which one are you? And as it turns out, the Lord chose people like Pharaoh. Did you know that Pharaoh was shaped by God to be a vessel of total dishonor? Pharaoh was created by God for the purpose of going to hell. You think, Brad, I don't like that. Who is God to choose that? Well, it's interesting because Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. Nine times it says that, but nine times it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened by the Lord. Which one was it? See, this is where people get into a tizzy. Uh, the Arminianists, the Calvinists, and uh, they've got this false dilemma where is God sovereign or do we choose God and choose to repent and follow him? And the answer is we do both. Um, and and uh, I'm a Calvinianist or whatever. I, like I think that those are false dilemmas because we're trying to limit God, but I do believe 100% in God's sovereignty. But I also believe that a person chooses. Yeah, but God knew you were gonna choose so, but still, he wants you to choose. Pharaoh did harden his own heart there for a while, but then God hardened it further still. 
You see, if you're hanging from a, a rope, let's say there's two ropes and you're hanging from two ropes and you're dangling over a well, and what are you gonna do? You see, you've got you know, Calvinism and Arminianism. You've got once saved, always saved, return their security. Human responsibility, d- divine election. It's God's sovereignty versus man's free will. And you're hanging onto these ropes. If you let go of one of them, the other one fails. You gotta hang on to both. That's kind of an image I hope you can see here. And I know that some people kind of have a hard time with that. But don't, the whole thing about uh, you know, God's sovereignty, you, you can't argue that the Bible, you know, Bible makes it clear, God's gonna do what he wants to do. God's will will be done. So he did that with Pharaoh. He said, for Pharaoh, I created you for the purpose of destruction. Another guy that I don't, Pharaoh I get. I think, yeah, Pharaoh's kind of a jerk. I'm glad God didn't choose him. But there's another guy that I struggle with, Esau. I like Esau. Esau's the good guy, man. He's the man's man. He's got hairy arms and he stinks and he's a hunter and like a really cool guy. I like, I like Esau. Jacob, his brother. I'm not so fond of Jacob. Jacob, he was the sneaky little snake. He's tricking people all the time and deceitful. Not only that, he liked to hang out in the kitchen all the time with the ladies. And the Bible says that Esau's, his arms were hairy. Well, J- Jacob, the Bible says Jacob was smooth. He was a, he was a smooth man. So you got Cabela guy over here and you've got Joanna Gaines kind of guy over here. Sorry, I'm sorry, I I like Joanna. You know, Martha Stewart living maybe over here. And, and, And as it turns out, God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Does God hate people? Well, there's a righteous hatred, do you know that? Because God doesn't sin, but yep, he chose Jacob over Esau. And God made that decision. I don't like that. Who cares? Remember, you're the clay. Stop talking. Clay can't say anything. (laughs) Brett, you're just being harsh. Well, I'm not because I'm being biblical. Uh, Would you turn with me to a scripture? It's Romans chapter nine. I'd like you to actually turn there because some things I like you to see in your Bibles, uh, just, you know, with your own eyes, your own Bible. It's important sometimes, I think. Romans chapter nine. Paul the apostle talking to the Romans, he deals with this issue of God's sovereignty and him choosing and the whole pottery issue and the the clay and all that. He deals with it all right here in Romans chapter nine. We'll start in verse 13. Romans 9, 13 says, "As as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. In other words, you can't say God is unrighteous because he chose one over the other. For verse 15, he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth, of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture said unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he had mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. Verse 19, thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Verse 20, nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? People are saying, well, I don't like that. Paul says, who do you think you are? That's what he's saying. Who do you think you are? And then verse 20, 
It says, nay, but oh man, that, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and one to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured much with long suffering with the vessels of wrath, fitted to destruction like Esau, like Pharaoh? And then it says, verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath before prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not to the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. Again, Paul's saying kind of a mouthful here, but he's saying this, who are you to reply against God about what he chooses to do? Choosing to make a vessel of honor, a vessel of dishonor. And he said, God can do that. Like, ja like um, you know, Jacob and Esau, Esau, he, he didn't choose. Pharaoh, he made a vessel of dishonor for destruction. But Paul then says, but, but while he does that, he also makes vessels to honor. And he says, that's us, Paul says. And not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles only uh, as well. Um, thank the Lord for that. So Paul says, why does he do this? It's the same thing Ephesians 2 told us, that he's sitting us in heavenly places to be a testimony of his glory. And that's what it says here, vessels of his glory, riches of his glory, verse 23. You see, what I'm trying to show you here is, by the way, this whole vessel thing and the potter and the clay and the prophecy of Jeremiah and all this stuff, it's threaded throughout the whole Bible. This is one of the things you miss if you don't go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. You can sort of miss some of these threads. And this idea of God being the master potter, Jesus specifically, um, on the wheel of life with the hands and pressure and the kiln and the heat and all that, that's all imagery <clears throat> that speaks of what God is doing. Now, some of you are like, okay, Brett, you're not helping. I told you I was uneasy, this scares us a little bit, that God could do whatever he wants, he can make me a toilet bowl, what, what, what's he gonna do? Well, here's the thing, you and I have a way right now to know whether you're gonna be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor, a vessel for eternal life or a vessel of eternal destruction. God already knows what he's gonna do, he's sovereign, he's already making a vessel, but which one am I? The way you can find out, the Lord's given us a little test, and that is if you repent of your sins, and you believe on Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that he was buried and that he rose from the grave, then it says you will be saved. You'll be in the glorious vessel category. But if you say, forget God, and I'm gonna do my own thing and go my own way, then you're in the other category. You're confirming that you're in the vessel of destruction. <clears throat> By the way, have you ever noticed how many atheists are not happy people? I've yet to really meet an atheist that I think, man, I'd really like to live their life. They seem so content and full and filled. Not so. You see, it's the atheist that's in danger of being a vessel of their life being set aside to be a vessel of dishonor because they're still in their sin. You say, Brett, the spittoon holds spit. The toilet, well, it holds other things. But as it turns out, that's what our lives are. They're just full of garbage. Our lives, man, we are sinners and we have all kinds of sin that we do. But the Lord is the one who says, I'll take your vessel and I'll wash you and I'll cleanse you and I'll make you a vessel of honor. And guess what? Nobody that's a believer in Christ is gonna be disappointed at the vessel he makes. How do I know that? 
Well, the psalmist kind of cryptically puts this little verse in there that I like. It says, the psalmist said in Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Where, where is he awakening? In heaven. You see, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna behold your face in righteousness. That's standing before the throne of the Lord. And I shall be satisfied when I wake. Why? Because I'll have your likeness. First John chapter three says, when we see him, we will what? Be like him. And the Lord is making a vessel that he's trying to transform into his image, into what he wants for you to be, a, a glorious vessel, a work of art. But before I leave this, you know, this point of the plan of the potter, and people, you might still be saying, well, okay, so if I'm a Christian, I'm gonna be a vessel of honor and not a toilet. Thank you. But still, I don't, I don't know if I like the Lord making whatever vessel he wants. Did you know that the Lord, people that shake their fists, I wanna be whatever I wanna be. Um, do you know that the Lord earned the right to do whatever he wants with your life? When you look at the hand of the potter and the foot of the potter, one thing you need to remember is that hand has nail prints of scars. That foot that's spinning your life so daily has nail scars in his foot because he went to the cross so that you could be saved. Apart from Jesus and the work of the cross, you would be a vessel of dishonor and it'd be toast, we'd all be history. But because of the work of the cross, Jesus earned that right by dying on the cross for our sins. So the Christian says, Lord, my life is yours. Do with it as you will. And like this Psalm that I put up here, you're not gonna be disappointed. You shall be satisfied when you awake in heaven with the likeness of the Lord. That's gonna be glorious. I hope the plan of God, the plan of the potter doesn't scare you. If you're a Christian, you can be totally confident in what God's doing with your vessel. If you're a non-believer, if you don't have Christ, you're still in your sins. And man, there's something you can do about that. You can see, you can test. Right now, if you wanna uh, have a vessel of honor, if you say, no, I don't need Jesus, then we know what's gonna happen. The Bible makes it clear. So you have the plan of the potter. Number four, and lastly on our list here, is we have the passion of the potter. This potter that we're talking about in the Bible, it, it shows that the potter has a passion to make these vessels of honor. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. The Lord's got a work he's doing and he's shaping and fashioning. But the story doesn't end there. And, and the thread of the potter story going through the Bible, there's one more attribute that I wanna show you because you see, the, the, there's, a, there's another level that we can take this. The Lord sometimes make a, makes a vessel, but have, have any of you been broken? Have any of you been through your life, you're like, yeah, when I was a kid, I loved Jesus, accepted the Lord at kids camp and walked with the Lord, but then I got a divorce and I've been blacklisted by my family. But then my life became shattered because of an addiction. But then my career ended because of this mistake or that, that problem. The, the one thing I've learned as a pastor is how many people are really truly broken vessels Shattered, their lives have been ruined. And even though we're Christians saved, it's, it's, it's our sin that messes us up. But I love the passion of the potter. See, the story doesn't end in Jeremiah 18, and this is where people don't get the context. But what happens? So Jeremiah goes around Israel saying, okay, like the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in the hand of the Lord, Israel. 
And so they hear him saying that. Well, shortly thereafter, turn to Jeremiah 19. We'll just take a quick peek. We're almost done. Jeremiah 19. In verse one of Jeremiah 19, Jeremiah takes the pottery illustration a step further. This is what gets him into trouble. This is where his little illustration turns into jail time for him. It says in Jeremiah 19:1, thus saith the Lord God, go and get a potter's earthen bottle, a big, a big pot. Take it to the ancients of the people and the ancients of the priests, the elders of Israel and the priests of Israel, and go forth to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. Does anybody know where's the valley of Hinnom? Anybody remember the other name for it? Huh? Gehenna, right? I think that's what she said. And, and another name for Gehenna is hell. Can you say that in church? I just did. You're like H-E double hockey sticks? Uh, hell, yeah. Gehenna is hell. So you say, Brett, what's the point? Remember I was talking about the Valley of Hell in Jerusalem? It's still there to this day. We drive our groups through it when we go to Jerusalem because it's on our way to um, our hotel. So we drive through the Valley of Hell. And I always say, hey, you guys, we're driving through the Valley of Hell. There's this nice little park and a swing set, and it's great. But the reason it's called the Valley of Hell, it's where Manasseh and Solomon sacrificed babies on Moloch and Chemosh, these horrible gods of the Canaanites. And it became the Valley of Hell because of the screams and the death that was there. Still called it today. So Jeremiah goes to this place that's notoriously evil and dark. You have to understand that. Um, And he brings this pot with him and he's just doing what God says. Now go bring a big pot and go and I'll tell you what to say. So then we fast forward, Jeremiah 19, verse 10. It says, then thou shalt break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee. And thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. What's gonna happen? The dead are gonna be buried in Tophet because there's no more room for dead people. (coughs) Excuse me. And so he breaks this this beautiful bottle and the guy's like, what did he do? He says, just that's you, Israel. You're gonna be broken before the Lord and you're gonna die. That's a pretty tough message and that's why they changed up Jeremiah and put him in prison. We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. You say, Brett, this is discouraging. I liked it when we just left the potter and he's gonna make a nice vessel and we'll be in heaven, (coughs) excuse me, and we'll all live happily ever after. But what's this broken vessel thing that Jeremiah did? Well, did you know there's a a final story that I I have to show you and that, and I'll just tell you about it. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, Matthew tells us something that if you didn't know about that part of Jeremiah's story and the prophecy, you might miss what the point of this. Are there ever little stories in the Bible? You just go, what that, what's that there for? Why is that story in the Bible? There's always a reason. And here's one of those stories. You're like, why does the Bible tell us this? Let me just read it to you. Matthew 27, verse three. And then Judas, which betrayed Jesus, when he saw that Jesus was condemned to death, he repented of himself. He wasn't like really repentant. He just realized he'd done something wrong, but he wasn't repentant. Um, And he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? Like, yeah, whatever, get out of our face is what they're saying to Judas. So it says Judas then, (coughs) excuse me, cast down the pieces of silver, the 30 pieces of silver, cast it on the floor 
of the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. For you Bible students, many scholars believe he went down to the Valley of Gehenna to hang himself. Um, and verse six, the chief priest took the silver pieces and they said, it is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it's the price of blood. Oh, now they've got morality. These are the same guys that are crucifying God on a cross. They're like, but we can't put blood money in our treasury because they have this sense of self-right. That's a beautiful picture of ugly religion right there. Um, so that's what these guys do. We, what are we gonna do with this money? So they've come up with a, uh, an idea what they're gonna do with the money that was used to, ba- uh, to, to betray Jesus. They took counsel and they bought with the money the potter's field to bury strangers there. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver and the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, here's where it gets really mystical. Did Jeremiah say that in the book of Jeremiah? No, but you say Matthew's quoting Jeremiah. Jeremiah was quoted by Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13 is where Jeremiah was quoted by Zechariah to say this. But here in Matthew, there's a connection between what Jeremiah was saying about the potter and this 30 pieces of silver buying this field of blood for strangers to be buried. And it was the potter's field but I'm not following. Well, here it is. The potter's field was a place where broken pieces of pottery were thrown. You couldn't just throw it on your farmland. It would ruin your farmland. You didn't have a garbage dump and they didn't recycle back in those days, but they took broken shards of pottery and threw it in the potter's field. As it turns out, that place was the same place that we're talking about, the Valley of Hinnom. That's where this place where they threw pots. Did you know that today when you go to Jerusalem, if you've been to Jerusalem, most of you have probably seen this, when you go through the Valley Kidron and then into the Valley of Ghana, you can reach down on the ground and find little tiny pieces of broken pottery that goes back all the way to even the first century. And you say, well, Brett, no way. First century pottery pieces? Yeah, by the billions. Because for the last 2,000 years, they've been throwing their broken pottery out in that valley. Um, and, and so there's all, now all the full pieces that were out there or the good sized little lamps and stuff, um, those are on display at some museum. No, bro, I saw one in a store. Well, that was a fake. <laughs> but the museum ones are real. But there's broken pottery all over the place. We know where this is. It's the same place where Judas hanged himself. It's the same place where Jeremiah took the pottery, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier and threw it down and broke the pottery in front of the elders and the priests saying, You're, this is you. But I love how the story goes where we find ourselves at the end where Jesus shed his blood on the cross. His blood was the price, the redeeming price. Peter talks about how we were not redeemed with silver or gold, but we were redeemed. We were purchased back with the precious blood of Christ. The blood money of Christ was used to purchase the potter's field to bury you know, uh, strangers in, and it's where the broken pieces of pottery were thrown. And what was it that bought that broken up, ugly ground? It was the blood of Christ that paid for that ground. I see a beautiful picture of redemption here. Did you know that the Lord is able to redeem even the most broken of pottery? The person who's the messed up, the worst one in this room. You might just be the one that's got the worst story in here. 
You might be online watching and you might say, yeah, all those nice Athey Creekers in the building, but they don't know what I've done and how broken my life is. God is able to be the artisan that not only shapes the pottery, but can take broken pottery and redeem it. And how did he do it? With the blood that he shed on the cross. I think there's a, a correlation here of the potter. This is kind of the end of the story, that it's the, the potter's field that was purchased. The, the, the garbage land was purchased with the blood of Christ. You might say, my life's garbage land. Christ's blood paid the price for you. And there's a redeeming quality. And I believe the Lord is able to take out his spiritual Elmer's glue. I think the Holy Spirit has something to do with that. And he puts you all back together. And even though you might see in heaven a vase sitting up there in heaven that's got some cracks and evidence of shatteredness, but people will still walk by and go, wow, look how good God is and look at what he has done with that life that was once shattered. That's what God is able to do. And that's the imagery, the passion of the potter is to, to build up and restore and help. So all that to say, um, all these scriptures, I kind of forgot to flip through those, but man, I hope you understand that, first of all, if you're a Christian, let the Lord shape you. Realize the heat, the pressure, the cycle of life and all the spinning and all that stuff. It's all part of the plan. Just let the Lord shape you and make the vessel he wants to make. If you're not a Christian and you wonder, am I a vessel of honor or dishonor? You can know today if you accept Christ. Romans 10, verse nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's find that out right now. Would you all bow your heads with me, please? And I'm gonna ask this question. Have you been born again? You were born in sin. The Bible says you need to be reborn. It's called being born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that is you were born in sin, but the, the beautiful plan of the cross of Jesus Christ is you, can be saved by the grace of God. Nothing you did to deserve it, nothing you did to earn it, but it's a free gift. And if you repent of your sins, that means to acknowledge your sin before the Lord. And then to confess and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. If you believe that and confess that, it says you will be saved. That's how we can confirm if you're a, a, a vessel in the hand of the potter that's gonna be of honor and be in heaven. If you wanna do that, I'd like to lead you in that prayer of confession, whether you're out in the internet, in your house or in your car, or wherever you're listening to this, or if you're here in this room, I'd love to pray that prayer with you. Um, if you're in the room though, I'd like to just see if there is anyone and if you just acknowledge that. If you're saying, Brett, I wanna make sure I'm a Christian. I wanna just turn my life over to God. I know that I've made mistakes and I've sinned and I'm far from perfect but I, I wanna acknowledge my sin to God and I want the cross, the work that Jesus did to deal, to pay the price for my sins and you'll be saved, forgiven. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Everybody else's heads are bowed in prayer right now as you're praying for these who might be wrestling with the issues of salvation. But if that's you, would you just acknowledge and I'll acknowledge you before we pack it up. Let me just see and I just wanna acknowledge anyone at all who would say, yep, I wanna accept Christ and I wanna be saved. I see you right there, awesome. Two of you, three, yes, good. Four, good, awesome. Anybody else back there, good. Cool. If you're at home or watching online, you can just acknowledge before God and just say, Lord, I need this, I need to be saved. And, and I'm gonna pray this prayer and I'm gonna ask the whole church to pray this out loud, this confession of faith. 
Um, and by that confession, read Romans 9 and 10, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It makes it perfectly clear that that confession with the mouth and belief in the heart is the deal. Jesus did all the work. So let's accept that, let's receive it. Church, would you just join me as we pray this prayer along with these five or six people? Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose up from the grave, and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Make me a glorious vessel. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray blessing upon these people who've just confessed their faith. I pray that you just confirm in their hearts, Lord. I know that doubt can come in and what all, all attacks us with this kind of doubtful mindset, but I pray you'd only confirm in their hearts just the power of the cross, that you are mighty to save, that you're able to forgive us from our sins. And, and I pray that they would have a sense of that sin lifted off their shoulders. Lord, that they'd have that freedom and the joy knowing that they're saved by your grace through faith. And then, Lord, for all of us, I pray that we just comply. Lord, help us to be clay that's shapeable in your hand. Help us not to be full of lumps, but Lord, create in us a great work. Lord, you tell us that when you begin a good work, you're faithful to complete it. Do that work, and someday, Lord, we'll be in heaven sitting before your throne, standing testimonies of your glory and your creativity, your grace and your mercy. So use your church, Lord. Bless this congregation now as we've taken this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.